What's going on, man? What's going on, man? Happy Friday. Yeah, you too. I just realized I had episode three still in the intro, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> hey, we're so still learning. Up? We're still getting down the uh, the technology and the going live and all that. So Definitely um, as we go. But uh, yeah, I was kind of surprised when you sent me that today. So Alex got about 20 questions that people had messaged him asking us wanting asking us to ask John. So we're, we're going to ask some of those. We're you know going to talk about some of the things we have planned, too. Um, but yeah, you got a lot of questions, some uh, some interesting ones. The viewers definitely want a piece of John today. And I hope we can, uh, you know, we can ask him some some questions and get some insight from him. I mean, he's definitely a big player in the brokerage space, so I'm happy to have him here today. Well, let's uh, let's get to it, I guess. Uh, unless you got anything John. else, let's uh, bring John in. Hey, John, how's it going? Hey, guys, how are you guys? Hey, what's up, John? Happy uh, happy Friday, man. I'll be right back here tomorrow morning. Got a lot of freight moving tomorrow. It's just another day. <laughs> another day, another dollar, right? That's right. Um, well, yeah, we're excited to have you on. Excited to make it. Uh, excited to make it work. Um, you know, I was I was talking to John before the show, and I was showing him some of the questions, and he's like, "These will be cakewalks." So, um, yeah, um, Alex, where do you want to start? Um, I'm still trying to get one file into here quickly, so I think my intro question for John was, uh, you know, the simplest type of question. How long have you been in trucking logistics? How did you get into it? I mean, just to get a quick background. Yeah, let's just start with the basics. Let's get that. Uh, this one, so, so I started, I uh, worked for RNL. So I was in the car business 25 years. Um, and I didn't know anything before logistics. I knew a truck made a service training. I had no idea what a re difference between a reefer flatbed was. Uh, went to work for RNL, did that for 11 months, figured there's uh, saw the money that was, was here said, Hey, I can do this myself. Another guy had jumped that I had worked with at RNL and I followed right behind him. And I been, so 2019 is when I started and, uh, went on my own in August of 2020. And, uh, here I am today. That's it. That's it. That's all. I mean, money runs the world. And I think it's uh, something that we all definitely need to take in consideration with our, our couriers. So that's definitely something we, we all need to pay attention to. Um, I mean, Matt, you want to kick off the questions? I feel like maybe we should just get right into it since there's a lot of them. Yeah. Well, why don't we just put up for our viewers some of the some of the questions? Uh, do you have those screens? I don't have it on me. Um, I think there's just too many of them for uh for people to be able to read and it'll just kind of give away the next question as we go. No, I just wanted to give the viewers kind of an idea of all the questions that people had asked us to ask John. I mean, John and I talked a lot of freight over the last, so there's a lot of different ways we could, uh, ways we could kick this off. But I mean, I guess let's just start with the, with the current state of things, John. I mean, if you were a new broker right now and you didn't have any of your customers, I mean, what would be the first advice you'd give to somebody new of how to attain customers what to do what's the biggest failure i mean you and i talk all the time that you have big three pls you know in your inbox asking you for coaching help and there's a lack of training in your mind at a lot of these brokerages i mean you know, what, what would you say to that you, you just got to separate yourself i mean and, I, and i've said this a hundred times um you, if you're doing everything else everybody else doing everything else everybody's saying 
you're not going to be successful. And in a market, especially where you have got to do something different. And I actually spoke to a gentleman at Freight Waves, this conference, and it's a post that's coming out Monday about this. And he said, I will give a guy a shot. Now, this is a Fortune 500 company. He says, I'll give somebody a shot if they're different and they make me laugh. So you've got to, and that's exactly what he said. He said, you have to separate yourself from the crowd. He said, I get, you know, and they're, they're a big company. So he says, I'm getting hundreds of solicitations a day and I can put 99 out of a hundred of those in the same bucket. They all say the same thing. Yeah. Do you have freight? Do you need trucks? That sort of thing. So he said, I'll give a guy a shot that makes me laugh, separates himself. And of course I promote a lot of videos. And that was part of my success was doing a lot of video, making people laugh. People were more apt to click on a video in the, in the words of, of TikTok and all these other things that are out here nowadays, people will watch videos. And if you make them money, make them laugh. I think that that'll start some dialogue. I believe. I, mean, I think the piggyback on a post I had just read, I can't remember who posted. It was pretty like literally one, two hours ago. Um, it might've been Timothy. Um, basically it said, do you really think making people laugh is a good way to get in like in this industry with serious people and that the industry is basically run exclusively by people that are serious and don't want to laugh? And I think that's just not true. You have to separate yourself, um, whether it be through comedy videos, you know, um, you have to be different, like you said. So. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, I just had a post up about subject lines and cold emails today. And a couple of people said, you know, put free tacos or free beer. I'd never sent an email like that. That was, wasn't my style and brokerage. And I did it this afternoon to a big uh, brokerage and got a meeting set up for Monday by putting free tacos. Not really my style, but I tried it out and somehow it worked. Look, guys, what's, what's the worst that can happen? You know, you got million shippers here in the United States. What's the worst that can happen? They just hit delete. It's the worst. It's going to happen 85, 80, 85 percent of the time anyway, even if you're amazing at it. Um, what I mean, if I could just get into a question here, um, I think it'll just kind of set the tone, um, at least from the carrier side uh, from things. The first question I had lined up was, are carrier relations like relationships important to you? And if so, how important compared to the 2021 market and now? Carrier relations were important in 20 and 21. They're important today. So I, I don't think there's any difference. Now, here's here's this. If you meet somebody on the street and you just meet them one time and you never see them again, you, you know what? They're, they're just going to be forgotten. Now, take the other side of that. I have regular cares here in Dalton, Georgia, that move 30, 40 loads every single week. Same cares. To be exact, one of those carriers bailed me out of Atlanta today because the driver that we had a set up for this truck wouldn't start. And I picked up the phone. I said, Hey, Jenny, I, I need you in Atlanta today. Well, I have my driver scheduled for something else. Can you push that off? I give her 40 loads a week. She helped me out. She made some extra money. We, we made some arrangements. So the relationships are the same then and now. I mean, I have those same relationships, but um, as a post I put out today, just because you have those relationships doesn't mean that, that means you get more. So that would lead into a separate question, um, just since we're already on the topic. Um, would you say that you pay every carrier the same, regardless of the relationship you have with them? Absolutely. So that is one thing transparent in this business that I'm doing here in Dalton. I have multiple carriers that go to the same location. 
when I come here, when I came here, I, some carriers were charging $1,900, some were $1,700, some were adjusting on fuel, some had flat rates. Every carrier that does the same lane gets paid the same. I treat my kids the same. I love them the same. If my, I buy my son something, I buy my daughter a Barbie. Everybody is treated the same. I don't make any favorites because you're, you're no better or worse than the next guy. And I, I believe in that. But don't you see that as an issue from a carrier side of view, like um, with that approach? So what would entice a carrier to want to do future business with you if you're paying them exactly the same as the guy you found on DAT? And how do you then, you know, source reliable carriers if you're not treating your consistent ones with any incentive to be a consistent carrier? Because no carrier in... So first off, this Dalton business that I'm down here for, there is no carrier paid the spot market. None. Zero. Um, I run a lane from Dalton, Georgia to Cranberry, New Jersey. If you want to look that lane up, we do it about 30 times a week. I can get a carrier off the DAT board for $1,500. Those carriers are paid $2,300. Oh, okay. So what's, your, what's your rate in that one? I'm sorry. It's where the shipper broker receiver. Okay. So it's oh, our, you're it's talking our about freight. Your yeah, right. You're talking about your freight. Yeah. I think I think right. Alex was talking more about general general freight. Um, you know, in that sense. So I know your post. You talked about your carrier that you hang out with. You and I were talking about this late last night for like 45 Absolutely. minutes. But like your carrier that you've been over to Christmas at your house that you have, you know one that's staying at your you know Florida house right now. You're paying that carrier. You know, no different. I know you posted the screen. I don't know. Did you post a screenshot of the conversation? I, I'm not sure. Absolutely. But. Yeah, I did. Right. He wanted, he wanted two grand. Two grand didn't support the market. He actually wanted 21, then went to two. The market doesn't support that. If you run that lane, it's running 1583. I gave him 1600 bucks. That's $3.83 a mile. Um, and he's turned down as many loads as he's accepted. And, and if he says no, I just, and, and I don't have another regular carrier that'll accept that lane at that $1,600 number where I want to be. I just go to the board. And if it's a one-off carrier, then I'm going to work that carrier down as much as I can, 12, 1300, whatever I can get it for. Because those carriers need to get out of West Virginia. So I have leverage. Now, do you think you have more problems too? Like I know you, you and I have talked, you had a double broker sue you recently. Um, and you and I have been on the phone when you've had a lot of hectic freight freight problems, double brokers, you know, people, I know how you handle loads held hostage, but you've had that, you know, threatened you. Do you think you have more of the, those problems because of your you know, ways of going about with carriers? I, mean, I know you and I have debated this before, so it's nothing new. But. I, well, obviously I can't measure about other brokers. Now, obviously we see from a social media standpoint here on LinkedIn that a lot of people have that problem, right? Jason posts about it sometimes. I've posted about it. So I think I just have, and, and this is just my opinion, I face it just as much, whether that's a lot or a little, as everybody else does in this market, right? I say every single time when I tender a load verbally, and I always follow up with the question again, does the MC number on the side of the truck going to match the MC that I'm tendering? Yes. Are you sure? Because the shipper's going to check. And if it's something that we're sourcing here in Dalton, I'm going to walk out this door and I'm going to look. And I've had to turn a couple and I've had to turn a couple carriers away. Right. And immediately I turn. I, I just say, sorry, don't match. And 
I turn them away and we resource, right? And that, we're a 24-hour shipper. Though, right? I mean, you have Dalton, correct. you have business I've, all over the country. Correct. But I've trained my clients to take pictures, right? Check those MC numbers. I've got their cell phones. I make sure that they, and about, I can't say 100% because I'd be lying, but probably 95% of the time, they will verify the MC number and get back to me prior to loading that truck. Now, just so I like know about how much of your freight would you say ends up on the spot market? Like what percentage is the spot market? I actually looked that number up. It's right at 15%. About 15% spot. So you're doing 85% of your business with carriers, you know, and have done business with. Absolutely. But obviously those carriers can't be anywhere. You know what I mean? So like when I move the, so when I move the armored trucks, I've got some guys in the Northeast, um, New York, New Jersey, I've got some guys in California, but this client has 450 branches across the United States. And some of them are big, Las Vegas, LA, Miami. Some of them are small. And those smaller ones, I don't have regular carriers in those markets. So I'm sourcing from the DAT board. Yeah. I mean, kind of speaking about rates and carriers, a couple other questions we got here was what's your biggest margin on a load? I think I know the answer to this one, uh, your biggest margin on a load. And then what do you think the average margin should be from a broker to carrier? So I'm going to answer the second question first, as much as you can get is the answer. Um, so my first, my largest margin loads, I've had loads consistently during COVID with a client that was, that had uh, money that, that was sourcing goods for, that was getting money from the COVID bailout money during the peak of COVID. Every time he got a PO, he was making four or $500,000. We were COVID. We were doing, he was sourcing uh, masks, um, a lot of PPE materials. If, if I can buy a truck for four grand, I charge him eight. If I could buy a truck for two, I charged him four. I was, I was doubling the money. That's the Indian reservation one you were telling. That's me the Indian. Yeah, that was a pretty good, pretty good connection you had there. What would you say though, like right now, like what's your average, average margin or biggest profit load? I run run around 40% month over month. I mean, when you talk about margins like that at 40%, um, like how do you feel that, you know, that margin makes sense when the guy actually driving the load, You're, you're getting paid, you know, very similarly I mean, close enough to the guy actually doing the load. Like, how do you justify that high of a margin? Well, first off, I don't coerce anyone in taking any of my freight. There's no gun held to their head. We, if you listen, if, and I will record some calls if you'd ever, if you ever wanted to do that, where, you know, I, I lay it out. Right. <laughs> I lay, I lay it out. You tell me yes or no. At the end of the day, you yes or no. You pay your cards first. I will never play my cards first unless I call you with the exception if I call you, which is rare because in this market, you don't have to call people. And if you say um, no to my rate, I thank you for your time. Maybe we can do business in the future. I don't know what costs are. And I posted about this today. If a carrier bought equipment, and I'll use an example. So Steve White, who's a friend of mine, who's currently living, currently staying in my home in Florida for 10 days. He bought a reefer unit and he had ordered it in 2019, and it showed up in March of 2020, right when COVID hit. 
and he paid $62,000 for that reefer. He had a guy, and, and because he was busy with his van freight, he never used that reefer. It was brand new. It had like an hour on the reefer. He sold that for $110,000. Somebody was willing to pay that. You can't hold me responsible if that's your situation. You overpaid for equipment in COVID. You paid, uh, you know, you know, just like paying $30,000 over MSRP for a car. If you chose to do that, you can't hold me or my clients responsible for your poor financial decision. So everybody's operating cost is the same. And personally, I don't care. So basically, it comes down to like, as long as the carriers are taking the freight, you don't care. Like, as long as the freight's moving, you'll pay as low as you can, as long as somebody's taking it. So the whole, like, will, you will move up on a rate if the load doesn't move, though. Well, sure. Absolutely. I mean, I got to move freight. Now, I'm, I'm going to be on the north side of the negotiation, right? Like, if if you're at 2 and I'm at 15, we're not going to split it at 1750. I know because the I move... 85, 90% of my lanes are the same. I rarely get a, hey, John, can you pick this up that's different? And so because I have the consistent data that I know what it will take to move this truck, I don't have to, I don't have to give maybe more than some other brokerages do. Let's, uh, I want to touch on the, the data too, because I asked John this question. This is one of the questions from our audience that we got before and I, I showed John before. You commented about paying 180 per mile without deadhead. Why are you proud of the fact you are giving trucks loads below operating costs? You know the I, we already talked about this. Do you know the average cost per you know the operating cost of a carrier? I don't know what your operating costs are. It's not my problem, right? It's my problem to move freight safely and effectively with the right carrier at the right price. And it's not and, and, and this is just comes off sounding really bad but i don't know what your costs are and you can always say no you, if i've got freight that you need to move i mean i moved some freight out of tampa to chicago for 61 cents a mile and the carrier asked for that money and here's what's funny on that call she was like can you do 1500 bucks i'm like and i i mean i i, I was i was at the point that that was 61 cents a mile i said yeah, I think I can do that. Like I could have probably got her to thirteen at a if I really point, tried. You can't, you can't blame the broker at a certain point for things when you're requesting. Absolutely, like, give you the request. Yeah, but on, on a serious note too, and this is one of the questions too on this part. How do you feel? And, and this, I don't know if I totally, I don't know, but I'll just read the question. How do you feel personally sure. that you put a driver out of business or about his family? It's a hundred percent your fault for paying unsustainable rates when you have money in the load. Businesses are going out of business every day. If you, if my load puts you out of business, you've got far more problems than me. And that's the way I'll leave that. Well, I mean, wouldn't we talk about this? Like, isn't this akin to price fixing? Because basically the story and the narrative brokers are putting out to carriers is that, hey, the shippers caught on to the, the rates. The shippers aren't paying me anymore. But you're sitting here with a 40% profit margin, and a lot of brokers are, that aren't saying it out loud. And even for example- I wouldn't example, say a lot of brokers, though. I, I, I would, I mean, John is one of the, has the highest me, profit margin of- Let me of put a, it to you this way. What's the lane from Maryland to Illinois paying on a drive-in? Does anybody know the answer to that? Uh, Roughly. I, I, 
I don't know. I don't, I don't run the lane, so I don't know. Okay. I mean, I'll give you guys the, the market average for that lane. It's around anywhere from a thousand to $1,400. It's about a seven, eight, 900 mile run. Depends, give or take. It's going to be heavy. That lane pays under $1,500 every day of the week. Now there's a broker that I have that paid me yesterday for a return haul because he needed the product back and he trusts us. He paid 2,600. Now that's because that product needed to be moved. That product needed to get where it needed to go that day that it needed to be there. So, I mean, when it comes down to it, there's money in the freight. And wouldn't we call this kind of like, it's price fixing at the end of the day when every brokerage gets together and puts freight out for $1.06 a mile when the freight is not paying $1.06 a mile. How do you know that wasn't a loser for him because he needed to move the freight? I mean, I have freight that I have to move and I have one lane in particular that is hard for me to cover. I get it twice a month. It's ugly. I either make 150 or sometimes 50, but sometimes I lose a couple 300 bucks. I'll move that freight. So it could have been a loser. You don't know that. I don't know that, but it could have been a loser if he's paying that much 1100 bucks over market. Yeah. And I think it is. I mean, I think it is, as I saw in the post recently to him, I think it is a supply and demand. I mean, a lot of truckers flooded the market in 2020 and now there's, I wouldn't necessarily say brokers are fixing prices. Um, I would say that more is just kind of how the market is. Um, so I'd, I'd probably be with you. Well, on and that. that brings me to another question. Who makes the market? I mean, in, in John, in your opinion, is it the shipper, the broker, the carrier? Who creates what we all keep saying, the market? I mean, this goes back to simple ep- economics. You know, it's a supply and demand, right? I, so, and I don't understand the data sometimes. Like I do, a, I do a load and I know I'm the only guy on this planet that does this load. And the DAT will be, Anywhere from $235 to $1,500. I mean, $235 to $315 more. And I know I'm the only guy on the planet running that exact line. Like, there's nobody else running that. And I pay $1,800. I actually, you know, I actually uh, posted about it a couple of weeks ago, right? So this data, I don't know where to get it. And I use that as, as some leverage in my negotiation. You know, again, this data is a tool. Sometimes I don't know how they get to this information, but I've never paid this on a lane and I'm not going to pay you on this lane. If $1,800 doesn't work for you, it may work for the next guy. And I'm going to thank you for your time. And I'm going to tell you to have a pleasant day. So I, I don't know how this data is, but right now shippers are manipulating the date. Shippers are manipulating the freight costs, whether they want to or not. I do my share of RFPs with my client. And these are big RFPs, Home Depot, Shaw. I mean, these are big companies, right? And so I see, and they multiple rounds. And, you know, there's one lane that goes out to California. That was, that was one at 81 cents a mile from East Coast to West Coast, plus a reduced fuel surcharge of 40 cents. A carrier or a broker bid that. I don't know which. But one of the two did. Shippers manipulate. So at this point, shippers are in control. They're manipulating the market. It's payback. They they may may not admit this, but they're currently in revenge mode. But I mean, with you saying that shippers are the ones doing this, and then you're holding hundreds, maybe a thousand dollars on a load that you can and have profit in. I mean, 
you know, where's the fine line between treating carriers right and only looking out for yourself in your pockets, you know? Because you're saying it's the shippers, but you're holding $1,000, $800. Oh, so, 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 some, some, so some of that, I can't say all because that would be not the truth, but some of that is because of my negotiation skills. I've been negotiating money since I've been 21 years old, right? And I've gotten, I, I really, and I've gotten really good at that. No, I, I would agree that, John, as you and I have debated this about whether it's worth it to negotiate 50 to $100 per load, and you, know, you and I disagree, but you're not, your negotiating skills aren't the difference between $100 and $1,000. Know, and I mean, it's not even about negotiating. It's just, don't you feel like it's, you know, like it's not about you. Don't you feel like that truck driver and his family deserve one, two, three hundred more when you have so, the opportunity to pay it? If it's when the truck driver, if it's the truck, if it's if it's the truck driver, he could be a company driver. He's going to get paid X cents a mile, right? And again, I'm going to go back to this. If my one load is causing financial hardships, you've got bigger problems than my one load. But it's not your one load. It's your one load and every broker that's like you keeping a thousand dollars when they don't have to. It's not your one load. It's everyone's one load, and it's the people like you holding money on loads that they have money in. I mean, there's a fair split when you have a thousand dollars on a load to keep 500 and give so, 500. So what's that? So what, so, so that, so there's, there's some, there's some uh, unspoken rule or maybe it's written that um, I, that I have to, you know, have a certain share of my profits. I'll even go one step further. Jewelry, furniture, look up the cost, Google this, look up the cost of an Apple iPhone and what they sell it for and what it actually costs them to make it, including transportation. Okay. Their cost is say 400 bucks. They sell them for 1529. People still might buy them because that's what the market demands. We're in a supply and demand market. Trucking is a commodity. I truly believe that it's it, the prices ebbs and flows. And because of that, it's, there is it. Profit is not a dirty word. And, and I'm, I, but I mean, is there a certain number that is dirty? Like, I mean, there has to be, man. And you're talking about Apple iPhones. I mean, there's one Apple iPhone. There's freight, millions of brokers moving freight at fair rates, and there's millions of brokers holding money. I mean, do you not ever feel like, hey, sometimes on this load, when I have a chance, I should give back a little bit? And I'm not saying, yeah, you don't work for free. Nobody works for free. But when you have the opportunity, do you not want to, to kind of give back to the people? Do Like without the carrier, you wouldn't have a job. I mean. So there's 1.1 million carriers for hire. We're not going to run out of carriers. Even today, when there are carriers going out of business, there are carriers going into business. There are carriers applying. Sure, there's a plenty of double brokers, but there's also true carriers getting into this marketplace. Obviously, not at the same rate as 2021 and part of 22. Or, you know, but there are carriers coming into this business. There, there's never going to be no carriers. It's never going to happen. There's never going to be a group of carriers going to get together and convoy like the movie and get together and go to Washington, D.C., because there's always going to be somebody that's going to take the cheap freight. And if the that carrier comes, group is trying right I now, I, I know, but, but you yeah, know. the NOA is a. Uh, NOAA is uh, trying. The guest we had on last week was a part of the NOAA. They're actually on day ten of their strike. But I, I agree with you. I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. But I, I did want to touch on this one, this one comment from the viewer. Um, I think we're, like people are hearing this wrong. I'm not saying that if John pays a fair rate, 
of let's say four dollars a mile to a truck and time keeps a thousand dollars that's not the issue the issue is so is so is fair market value so that's what i'm gonna ask so who defines fair fair is a very subjective word so what's fair to you alex may not be fair to matt might not be fair to bill but might be fair to me so fair is subjective so what's fair to you because your truck's paid off and your expenses are less or you've been out here 40 years. So you're like Dan Rowe, who probably gets very good insurance rates. So his insurance is 30, 40 percent less than the guy that's only been out here two years or one year that's got a newer authority who has two accidents on his record where Dan takes care of his license and has less records. So fair is not a it's very subjective. So what's fair to you? It may not be fair to me. I mean, it's subjective right, to a point where you've mentioned you don't know the costs, the operating costs at all about anything to be a carrier. I mean, yeah, there's going to be carriers paying much less and much higher, but it's never going to be to a point where even Dan Rowe, the Dan Rose of the world, who've been here 50 years, 40 years doing it, there is a basic operating cost for every truck in America. And I mean, that's just unnegotiable. You know? Someone's way different, but I mean, there is a bare minimum for every truck on the road in America, and it's not being met by a lot of freedom. I just want to get chime in here real quick, guys, because I think there's I mean, I think part of the part of the issue, I see both your guys' points on this. I mean, it's a entrepreneur's market. And I uh, John, and I have a different little different style of negotiating with carriers and, and rates. And we've debated this. But the, the issue, I think, and I talk to a lot of brokers is a lot of carriers in these Facebook groups you see on LinkedIn, they're under the impression because of sometimes your posts and others of 40% margins and putting that on social media, that that's the average. Now, I, no. I never ran above 20%, 20% margins. A lot of brokers I know are making 50, 100K profits. They're all under 20% margins. And I think sometimes it gets the perception that posting 40% margins, 5,000 a load, that a lot of carriers think that all brokers are doing that in every load. And that's not the reality. No, I mean, so let's, let's, I'll give you a good example. I have a client who is a software manufacturer. They do not do anything in logistics, nothing in logistics, but they program these gambling machines. Okay. The lady calls me. She was from a referral where she used to work, who I do business with. They were, they were shipping food, nothing fancy. She goes to a software. She calls Dan, says, hey, do you have a referral of a guy? Because we have these gambling machines that need moved. And do you have somebody you, you, you like and trust? Call John. So I talked to her. She just said, I need this to go from point A to point B. I asked her what the commodity was. She told me. I said, what's the value of this? She said $400,000. Some of these machines are very expensive. I said, do they need to be secured? Because she said gambling machines, right? I said, do they need to be secured? She said, absolutely. So my, when I go to a care, when I source a carrier and the work to be performed, I've got a whole laundry list of things that you have to do. Extra padlock on the truck. You must send me pictures. You can't leave. Macro point. You must sign and you must watch somebody Take that off the wherever it's going. Take that off, and by the way, make sure you know you ask them that this goes directly to a secure facility because somebody got a hold of that machine, that gambling machine, roulette wheel, etc. They could program that to win millions. So that's that's justified because of that extra work. It's not point A, point B, going to a U.S. Foods. You set an appointment, and they show up, right? 
So it also depends on your freight mix. It also depends on what kind of client you got. I have some, I have seven clients, six, seven clients. They're not really in logistics. They are, John, I'm calling you at two o'clock in the morning and I need this from here to here by Monday morning, make it happen. And I just send them a bill. What They don't ask how much it costs. They ask, when is it going to get there? So I think it also depends on the business mix because everybody that's chasing the food shippers, the flatbed shippers, everybody that we can find out on Google, your, your margins are going to be compressed because they've got choices. That person that's looking for that guy that'll call at two o'clock in the morning. And I, I sell this. If I'm having sex with my wife at two o'clock in the morning and you call me, I will stop what I'm doing and answer the phone. And if you don't believe me, call my wife. John, you go to sleep at like seven o'clock though. You and I both know that. So. But I answer my phone and my, and my wife will tell you if she, it's kind of like a, the first time that your child, if who, those who are parents, the first time that you go to bed and you wake up at 6 a.m. and you're and you didn't have to get up and change your kid's diaper and they slept all night. And you're like, and then you rush in there and make sure that the baby's still awake or I mean, is asleep and breathing. My wife can count on the most weeks. She can count. She can count probably one to two times per week that my phone didn't ring because most of the time my phone does ring and they pay me to get up at two o'clock in the morning to handle those problems. And there's a price for that. I mean, I don't you think food. anybody would, would disagree with the fact that, you know, going above and beyond demands, you know, a certain premium. I don't think anybody will want to answer the phone at three in the morning um, and not be paid for that. So absolutely I mean, yeah. real work. That's real work. And I mean, you do have food chippers too, John. You move a lot of, you move I, a lot I, of. Absolutely. Power. I move my share. I move my share, share of food. Right. But again, you asked for the blend. So I have those, you know, like there's a guy named Nate, right. And, I'm not going to make 40% on this guy. If I do 12, it's fine. 15, maybe sometimes 18. If I on California's and he throws me a couple extra stops, uh, you know, I'll work him for $300 extra stop. I'll pay the carrier a hundred. Right. So sometimes I can get to 18, 17%. So there's guys that I'm not going to make that, but as a blend, it stays in the high thirties. I mean, that's leading me into a question I wanted to just ask you. Like, I mean, let's bring up the fair word again. You get paid 300 for the stop, you pay the carrier 100. Is that fair? Like, is that not, do you not see that as, as an issue? Carrier should ask for two. Maybe I'd have paid it. Yeah, but, but if the I carrier, say, me myself included, we do ask for it. I'll, I'll tell you, I need a $500 layover, and they just meet me with no. And, and look, so, the, getting- so, so, so the carrier, so this particular carrier that, that, uh, that I'm talking about, he will add a stop sometimes a couple of days before they pick up because typically I have about a five day notice prior to the pickup. So I'll set him up and then I'll say, Hey, he added a stop from Moreno Valley, California. And then there'll be a Santa Ana, which is 20 miles up the road. Right. I say, Hey, I'll send you an extra hundred. And they say, send it over. We're done. Now, if they, if they don't counter me, you know, we're not negotiating. Well, no Most of foul. these carriers don't know how to negotiate very well. It's true. Yeah. I mean, no harm, no foul. If they asked you, you know, if you said I'll give you a hundred, they said send it over. I mean, that's that's obviously not what I'm, I'm talking about. Um, as a carrier, a lot of the times we'll ask for a five hundred dollar layover, and it's always, you know, more often than not, if you don't have a relationship with that broker, you're gonna be told no. If you tell so, it's five hundred dollars the standard 
in the marketplace. In the marketplace, is five hundred dollars the standard? What's your no, standard, I mean, John? I mean, you I'm wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. That was the next That's, question. I know what my standard was, but I'm just I'm curious. I think well, I know well, here, what you're here, here, So it depends. So it depends. I screwed up. I screwed up Wednesday. I screwed up Wednesday. <laughs> it never happens. <laughs> Don't happen often, but I, I admit it, right? So it was a U.S. Foods. They, they gave me the appointment that I wanted. I tendered it to the carrier. About an hour later, they changed it to the next day because they said they were full. A lot of times, U.S. Foods will just send the same email again with the same times on it. Some Fort Mill's really bad about that one, but for whatever. But this one wasn't going to Fort Mill. This one went to Alcoa, Tennessee. They actually changed the date to today, so it was pickup Wednesday, deliver Thursday. They changed it. I missed it. Hundred percent my fault. I took the blame. I paid the guy two fifty. Two fifty when it was your fault. My fault. See, for a day layover? One day, 24 hours. See, that, there's, this is where uh, John and I could probably go on a long debate about this. But, like, if it's my fault, I, I think it has to be 500 if it's, if it's my fault. Because 250 is, you know, I mean, the Let's amount of hours. Start, you know, like, what would you pay a layover on a normal situation? Like, just a normal, hey, sorry, you're stuck till tomorrow. What's a regular John layover? So, that doesn't happen. A, that doesn't happen very often. Oh. Uh, but. But but one fifty is where I would be because that's what a one fifty dollar layover for a typical sorry you're stuck till tomorrow situation. Correct. I mean, is that okay with you if industry standards are minimum two fifty? So show me that. Somebody I mean, look, put that on paper. Comment. Show me that. Here's a comment. It's a typical Someone. layover. It's an industry standard, and it's not so, even high up to begin with. So I could show you, and and. I could I could pull 30 rate cons that are not my rate cons, not mine. This is another, these are other brokerages, and, and I can name them CH Robinson, Arrive Logistics, where that Robinson layover. Them. It's not. They pay 250 every single layover. No, they don't. Let's talk about mess ups though, because I, I I messed up appointment very new to my food brokering days. I messed it up by I sent someone in without a delivery appointment. It was an absolute disaster. You know, and I ended up losing well under the four figures on this load. Cause I had to pay, I think what $1,500 worth of layovers for two days, 750 a day was my fault. I mean, you can say 150 is the layover when it's not your fault, but was 250 what the carrier asked for when it was your fault. Cause I feel like as a broker, if it's the carrier's fault, sorry, you're out of luck. But if it's my fault, then I have to say the same, you know, have the same way. It doesn't matter if they want an insane amount and I lose a lot of money on the load. Like, a good lesson for me. Well, so I mean, if it's the carrier's fault, they don't get paid at all. They don't get anything. But but <laughs> in this situation, but in this situation, the the guy said that, and, and I got the emails here. The guy said you'll pay me a layover. I said absolutely, and I sent him two fifty, and nothing was else said. Now maybe he's trained to getting two fifty, so he didn't ask for five. Now Alex, you're a good negotiator, right? You're going to ask for all you can get. I can tell that about you, right? But if you don't ask, you're never going to get it. So this guy said, hey, you're going to pay me a layover? I said, absolutely. It's my fault. I spoke, I spoke to him personally on the phone. I paid him $250. Nothing was ever said. Delivered this morning. Clean. All was good. And you no, do the same thing for detention, too. I mean, we, you and I have talked about this before, but if a carrier asks for detention and they only ask that your customer pays you $400 for detention, 
and the carrier only asks for a hundred, you just pay the carrier the hundred and keep the three hundred dollars in profit, correct? Absolutely. That's all they ask for. I mean, is the tension in your rate con though? Is that not that's usually always discussed or at least so it so so no. So in my rate con, the only thing that I say is uh, no detention is paid on first come first serve shippers or receivers. So I don't pay detention if it's first come first serve. My opinion is, is a carrier can just, just you know, if the driver decided to wait till two o'clock and they close at three because he want to get some extra hours of sleep or he met some girl at the truck stop, it's want to spend a little extra time with him. That's on him. If uh, it is a an appointment such as a U.S. Foods, Gordon Food Service, et cetera. My rate con says after an hour and a half, please um, report to me of the delay so I can get with the shipper or whoever's paying the bill to allow them to make them aware of the delay. So here's what's funny. See, here's what's funny. I'm gonna. I got to put this in. Eight out of ten carriers do not let you know at an hour and a half that there's a delay. A lot of times you don't hear about it until hour three. It's a little late then. I mean, what would you say to a carrier saying that you're on purpose giving first-come, first-serves to deny, deny detention? I mean, what stops a carrier from accusing you that you're going to slap first-come, first-serve on every paper you have and never pay detention? Well, first off, if it's going to a grocery store, there's late fees associated with that. I just actually set an appointment for, for Cisco Hampton Roads. It is a um, $350 rescheduling fee. Um, plus the late fee of 250. I mean, so, I mean, it wouldn't take long for that to catch up with you. If number one, number two, um, I don't do that. If there, and, and I don't change the appointments. If the appointments at nine, I know a lot of brokers will put eight because they think the care is going to be late. If the appointments nine, my rate cons going to say nine. If the appointments I'm eight, it's going to say out with drivers. I've put like an hour before to send this to a driver before. I, I, I've never done that, but I, I, stay on tracking but i did want to move to the sales aspect here because we could go on about these carrier things all day john and i debate these but i mean i i think a lot of our audience wants to hear some sales stuff um obviously i got a lot of my sales knowledge from john early on whether that be you know nights home driving home from the brokerage i used to call you at five o'clock we talked from five mm -hmm. to five thirty it would be a good good old day about two minutes guys well you get into the sales i just gotta step away for two minutes i'll be right back sure go all ahead. right what you got well, we got some questions here from the audience, the sales questions. So what's your best advice? Matt Zeman said, what's your best advice for finding new prospects? Well, first off, so I, there's a whole this no secret. I'm from West Virginia. West Virginia does not have a lot of commerce and industry. Um, you know, their biggest um, probably industry is logging, right? Um Lumber flatbed lumber that sort of stuff which i don't play with right but first off you got to go to your backyard right you got to go to your honey hole you got to go where your roots are um number two you know you you've got to just in sales meet and greet find common ground right so obviously you, i'm going to have common ground with people from west virginia right? you know um and it, it's just and then number three and i've, I've, I've preached this a hundred times is you got to set yourself being different that's why i always preach the video and last year i put a lot of examples using the bomb bomb software it's 49 bucks a month i mean it's cheap to and it lets you know when the customer views the videos like when they open the email and they play the video and then you call them up and you say hey man i was thinking about you i thought maybe you have a few minutes oh man john 
that's awesome. I was just watching your video. Oh man, great minds think alike, right? So there's some kind of tag they embed inside their your outlook and they don't know that, right? So you, you've got to separate yourself. Again, going back to the Fortune 500 guy that I that I met that I that I mentioned earlier in the show at Freightwaves, he said, look, you got to make me laugh. You got to separate yourself different. You got to be in this other bucket over here. And if you do those types of things, you're going to be successful. I mean, I posted about it two weeks ago about my drive-in with um, the husband and wife team that used video and took my recommendation and they got their largest client. They got their largest client just by separating themselves with a the video. Look, I mean, and, um, you know, personality sales, you've got to separate yourself from the other, from the pack. And until 3PLs do that, I work for a 3PL that basically gave you a computer, a list of old custom, recycled customers that either hate you and never do business with you or are out of business. I mean, it was one of the two. It really was that would hang up every time you would call them, they would hang up on you. And we, my client here is a shipper. We get those calls from brokers. I take every single one of those calls. And if I knew they were going to call, I would try to record them. Everyone sounds the same. Can save they you money. Can save, we have all the trucks. You know, yeah. the, and right. people are still doing this. I mean, you said it on, and I talk about this all the time. I mean, creativity sells, personality sells. I mean, if you can do something that differentiates yourself from 95% of the people, it's hard not to be successful. Um, speaking of that, what was the best video? Uh, Kevin Dodd asked, what was the best video John has sent to a prospect? So early on in COVID, um, I was doing videos, right? And I got the attention of the guy that's the director of Kellogg's. Kellogg's spend is over a billion dollars. That's a lot of money in their transportation spend. And he shared that with me. And he said, and this was during, now this was during COVID, right? So I sent him a video, it was during COVID. And he said, and they have a DC in West Jefferson, Ohio, which is um, just kind of halfway uh, close to Dayton, Columbus area. He said, pick any one of these lanes and help me out, I'll give them to you. And I looked at him. None of these lanes I could handle. I actually turned his business down. And I, I turned it down. But yeah, I turned it down because I couldn't service him. I mean, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I, I'll sit here from daylight to dark. And set back down if a truck falls off at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I'll come back and grind it out. But I can't do 40 lanes a day to the Columbus Walmart. I can't do it. And especially at the time when, I mean, first off, I didn't have any regular carriers, number one. And then the other side of that, number two, I mean, I mean, I can't source that many trucks on the board track and tracing. So I would have failed the guy. Right. So I, I turned down his business. But through that video, the guy basically said, I need help. Here's the lanes. Pick some and help me out. And, um, you know, so that was, I mean, to get, just to get a seat at the table. And also I got a seat at the table for LG electronics and it was their master bid. So it wasn't just their, um, electronics, like their cell phones and tablets and things like that. 
it was for their um, appliances. They had like, I mean, I looked at these lanes. They was, and it's similar like um, like some of your um, other retailers that I've seen some of the RFQs for. I mean, they was like one lane that went from like a McDonough, Georgia to their um, plant in uh, Tennessee that makes the like the the washers and the dryers. And it was like 120 lanes a day. I can't service that. That's got to be done with a JB Hunt, a, a TQL. That's an enterprise client. But the fact that I got that I just got a seat at the table made me feel good. And I think you and I agree. We've talked about this. I'm glad you brought this up. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes brokers make is you've got to, if you're new, you shouldn't be going after multi-billion dollar companies. You might not even be able to service them. I mean, most of your customers, I know most of your customer base, I mean, most of them are on the smaller you know, mom mm -hmm. and pops, you know, West Virginia. And, you know, your, your numbers aren't hidden. You post them on LinkedIn. So, I mean, everyone sees that that adds up. And I, I think a lot of people need to work at, you know, their prospecting and what companies. So it's, as you said right now, I mean, even if you get a seat at the table, it's, it's hard to service those. I mean, you cradle to grave model, you really can't do that as an agent. You know, unless you're going to hire. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I looked at, and I looked at, at ramping up. I actually looked at hiring people. Right. But I've managed people all my life. And I don't know that I wanted to go back in managing all those personalities. So, I mean, I'm making plenty of money. That's the, the most money I've ever made in my life. And I'm, I'm going to be honest. And I made really good money in the car business, um, you know, from, from a management level or even a sales level for that matter. I mean, I made good money as a salesman, you know, that that's, you know, in West Virginia is like making a million bucks. Right. But I can't, you know, and, and I've always said this to, to some friends, if I knew freight was this lucrative, maybe I would have done it 10 years sooner. Right. But I had no idea that it was this lucrative until I worked for RNL. So I worked for a three PL, you know, I saw their margins. And, and so to bash me, when I see three PLs, because I, I work for one, and they were making really good margins, and I'm sure some of their lanes are average. Good. Average was though, because I mean, I've seen averages at multiple three PLs in this market, and I would say the average at a big three PL is under twenty percent. I mean, I would say you're you're an exception to the rule at forty percent. I mean, there's brokers that are yeah, and and I would agree with that. So. I don't know what their numbers were because I wasn't privy to that. But when I was on the call, which I did not agree with, I, when we would say that we're making about a 15% margin on some customers, now this was during COVID, the president of the company would say and it would infuriate me because I become friends. So the client that followed me when I worked at RNL that I dug up, which was the first client that ever gave me business, ever. I lost money on his loads at first. I, I was learning reefer. He was testing me. And now this guy, me and this guy break bread. Every time I'm in West Virginia, he was at my my place in Florida last year. You know what I mean? His wife loved it because she hadn't went on vacation in years and she was down here on the beach in Florida because I'm about a mile away. So, you know, he 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 tested me. We're good friends now. And I was told to fire him because my margins were less than 15% on his business. The president RNL, of the company. Told, the president of RNL told you to get rid of oh, him? Yeah. He said on every call, because when I got promoted to a supply chain consultant, so I went from hourly to salary, I was on those calls every morning. And his his words were, if you can't, if you can't make 
better margins than this 15% fire them like customers grow on trees, fire them and get a new customer. And that really infuriated me because at this time, me and this guy are friends. He's from West Virginia. I mean, I lived in Polka, their offices, you know, in Winfield, 15 minutes up the road and it, it upset me and it was the wrong way to do business. If you've got a customer that's paying you good, letting you handle their freight, allowing you to make good decisions, you know, I make, I make decisions on Mark's freight every day. You know, I look out for his freight uh, as well. Um, then you don't fire customers like that. Those are long-term customers. He gets calls every day. And he's, he's told me some of the things he said. And he'll, he'll say things like, Does your bro- will you answer the phone at 2 o'clock in the morning? No. Will you answer the phone on a Saturday? No, I'm off. My broker does. Whether, whether he'll ever call me or not, he knows he can. You know, he's, he's off today, you know. He's off today. They close on Fridays. They, they only work Monday through Thursday. But there's a production delay that he knows about. And he called me today and said, hey, there's going to be a production today on the left in Texas on Monday. So slow the truck down. I said, sure. Do you think that's where the future, I mean, you kind of talked about why you left R&L and you know, what the president said. And you know, we, we've talked about this at length. But, I mean, do you, do you think the future is, I mean, the, a lot of W-2s, you know, most of the top sales reps are slowly transitioning to the agent model, that they're just with everything that's happening, you know, in terms of the market rates. Um, you know, where do you see kind of the future of that going? Well, I'm going to say this. If the FDA and the Biden administration, I'm not a fan politically, but if he ever, if they ever get rid of the non-competes, Katie bar the door. They will be the. You would think everybody, every freight broker called nine one one because every independent agency's phone is going to light up like a Christmas tree. It, that's the way it's going to go, because people, you know, I brought a lot of business to R and L that was never on their books. Now some of it was I revived, but most of it wasn't on their books. It was brand new business for them. The, I built the relationships. And they were doing business with me. And I'll give you the best example of that. I got, I got some business from a farm in Florida. And this, when I left Arnell, I did not, I told him I was leaving and he would have a new rep. I never went anything further about doing business. About a week after I left Arnell, he calls me and my wife, my two children and I were at Aldi. John Wilson calls. He says, John, you got to help me. I said, what's wrong, John? He said, Arnell told me they can't help me. I'm like, what do you mean they said help, can't help you? He said, they, they can't help me get my freight moved. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, he, and, and this, these are loads that he delivers to for the USDA uh, school lunch program and for, and if they're late, so he has a window of 15 days. So you have a window with 15 days on USDA loads. And, and so they'll say you got to deliver one through the 15th or the 16th through the 30th. If you're late, it's $500 a day for every day. It's late. He said, you got to get this moving like now. I left the groceries in the cart. I packed up my children and my wife. We went home and I moved his freight. Arnell apparently didn't want the business for whatever reason, because it was good margin. It was 25% business. 
but who, whatever that that new rep did not for I don't know the circumstances could not service him. Now, as a non-broker, just so I kind of know, like, how can you be late with that kind of delivery window? Like, what's the logistics behind that? Like, this problem is a lot of brokers that just don't treat. I'll let John answer that, but there's a lot of brokers that just don't treat it like their own business. They treat it like it's you know you're working nine to five at Target. You know, I mean, well, how so you I get fifteen day delivery window. I mean, they, but, yeah, but the, no, no, the, so no, 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 no. The, they have fifteen days to manufacture. So they, so the way the USDA works is. It's fresh meat. So it's fresh meat, 80-20 blend for schools. You have to, so when the last box made, they put a sticker on it with a timestamp. It has to go to a blast freezer and it has to go from room temperature to zero within 72 hours. If it doesn't get to zero within 72 hours, they have to throw it out. It's only good for dog food. Like it's it's completely unusable. <laughs> so there's a lot of risk here. There, I mean, seriously, there's a lot of risk here. But the reward's good. I mean, it's USDA. They, it's federal government. They never run out of money. They print it every day. So, you know, what happens is he's – so he has 15 days to get it delivered. I don't have 15 days. He has 15 days to get it produced to temperature. The labs come back. The E. coli come back. The E. coli has to – all that lab has to cut, go with the – the COA has to go with the shipment with the driver. It has to be delivered, and it has to be delivered in that window. Well, if something happens within on his operation, he might be pushing up against that. Um, oftentimes, he would have problems getting the cows, like um, because they would bother – some they, cows they raised and some they bought – so they're having problems sourcing. So if they get in there and they can't kill the cows quick enough to get the meat processed or something on their line, their machine. So they had a chub machine. So they, they shove this beef in these one pound chubs and these five pound chubs that goes to the schools. So if the, so the schools are, you know, if they're making spaghetti, they might need 40 pounds. So they get out four 10 pound chubs. Well, long story short, if they have their machine go down, they may not meet the requirements and because they don't meet them. They get fined if it's not delivered. So it happens. And, you know, so, you know, I, so there's one of those things. I never let him fail. If I had to lose a thousand bucks, I lost a thousand bucks, but I moved his freight. If a carrier fell off at two o'clock in the morning, they had a seven o'clock loading appointment in Douglas, Georgia. I paid whatever it took to move that freight. I think not enough people talk about the risks brokers take on with projects like that. Um, and, you know, the amount of time you do spend moving freight. Um, I think not a lot of carriers really understand. Because, um, I mean, for us, once the truck is booked and loaded, I mean, that's kind of it for the day, you know. There's not much that can go wrong for a carrier in transit besides a breakdown. And even if that happens, I mean, there's not much you can do about it until a shop opens the next morning. So I think brokers I have definitely have a lot more middle-of-the-night calls than carriers do. I have a lot of clients where the owner of the company not they don't have a logistics manager they don't have you know they, they you know the, these are again smaller i got an independent grocer in lexington that's this way he just sends me the so and tells me to go get it well he just sent me this so the other day and I've, this is a brand new item that he's buying for his business and um the corporate office of the where he's buying it from is in tennessee but a lot of these manufacturers, so like the the people, like I pick up bread and pizzas for the school programs. They're picked up. They're they're picked up at cold storage locations, not not at the shippers' location. 
or, or corporate office location. So he sends me this SO. I spent an hour trying to find the cold storage location because so I called the corporate office. I had to go through three or four people and it took over an hour to do this to find out what, what cold storage and it ends up being in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, Lebanon cold storage in Lebanon, PA. So I finally find out and then I got to call the cold storage company and figure out what their um, appointment process is. Do they use Blue Jay? Do they use Open Doc? Do you know? So I got to find out how they skip. Do they use email? So then I got to find that out and then I got to see when the load's going to be ready and picked. And or and so I can pick it up. So and especially with food, I've learned that food, you know, I get orders six weeks out for a client that does food because they have to order ingredients. They got to order sausage, flour. I mean, it's biscuits and like and eggs and cheese and milk and buttermilk. Well, they can't just, you know, a customer can't put in a PO, you know, for a thousand cases of biscuits and immediately expect it to be delivered the next day or next week. There's a, there's a plan in place. I've got orders for hazmat that I do that goes to ag out in California. Um, that's planned in advance. And I just got those orders. I got 250 loads, give or take moving out of Florida, all hazmat reefer. So they got to, they got to maintain certain temperature that run out to California and I'll do, um, and they've planned out their whole year. Now I'll move a couple of those by date, but for the most part, that's scheduled from now all the way through April. Yeah, no, so I line up my carriers for that. Yeah. I don't think you have, you don't have a lot of same day, same day freight other than, other than Brinks. Um, but I did yeah, want to, I, I know your time is, you know, we're already. I'm, I'm okay. We're good. We're good. I'm okay. Um, but anyone in the audience wants to see, we did miss, let's see if we missed any other questions. We missed two. Uh, I know this isn't necessarily a fair point because of time constraints. Oh, it says, Okay, I know this isn't necessarily a fair point because of time constraints for carriers, but what is stopping owner ops uh, from prospecting their own freight directly with shippers if they don't like their compensation from brokers? I think that's a good, really good question. Absolutely nothing. I mean, Dan Rowe does it. I don't. I mean, I, I think he takes a broker load every now and then because he has. I mean, you know, it's good. Here's the only thing that small carriers have. You could be the best carrier in the world, and I, I'll use somebody like Home Depot. Let's use them for example. You could, you could be in a Home Depot, DC, like their backyard, right? Like, so like they've got one in Locust Grove and they've got another one in uh, McDonough, right? And you could be right in their backyard and you could say, um, you know, I, they could look you up. Your safer's good. You've got good references. And then Home Depot say, sure, um, I need you to drop 30 trailers in my yard. I'll start giving you freight. They can't do it. You can't I mean, do they're, it. they're, they can't do it. They're done. Right. So, but like Dan, Dan does one load with the egg shipper up in Indiana. Right. He, they, they may have, and I'm sure they use direct shippers. The guy out in California, Alex, who was a freight broker who does the strawberries, you know, he has direct shippers. And I guarantee you some of those guys are just one, two, three truck fleets. Just like Dan, Dan's a one truck fleet. So it can be done. And what you got to do is you got to start in your backyard. That's where you got to start. And I've got shippers. I've got one client that uses 80, I, I do 95% of their freight, but they have a couple shipper, local shipper, a, lo a local carriers 
uh, one guy moves the shortening from Lexington to, um, to West Virginia for biscuit shortening. And I try to get it, but he won't give it to me. He likes the, he likes the other carrier. So, you know, but I try to get it. I've tried to get it. I just can't. I mean, I think that's something that a lot of um, brokers, I mean, like not every carrier has been a broker, not every broker has been a carrier. And I think that argument is just like, it's overdone at this point because brokers seem to think that even smaller carriers don't source their own freight. And I mean, for whatever reason, brokers seem to think carriers are illiterate in creating a relationship with a, with a shipper. I mean, it's easy, you know, you call the guy, say, hey, I got a five truck fleet. I'm located five miles, five miles from your shipping service. Like, do you need us to move any freight for you? And that has worked many times. It's that simple. I wouldn't I'm going to tell you that simple, though. I mean, otherwise you wouldn't see all these brokers fail. I mean, I, I would say, you know, on the recruiting side, I talk to companies every day now. John saw it at RNL. I mean, you see it. I mean, a lot of these brokers with full training of how to do sales consistently can't get freight. So I don't think it's necessarily as easy as just calling up and saying, hey, we have five trucks. It's not going to work every time. But at the same time, it's like it's like brokers and carriers cannot form that relationship. With like John touched on, the biggest problem for carriers in sourcing their own freight is that they are not big enough to handle the, the contract. I think sales too, though. I mean, I, I, I think it's it's the big enough factor too, but it's sales too. A lot of them aren't trained in the business aspect of logistics in terms of the I want to tell you how, I'm going to, so there's a guy that I deal with and he is a perfect example, the perfect example of how carriers should use. So this guy represents multiple companies. He is just the sales guy. So he, and I think Burns Logistics is this same model. Like I believe they're the exact same model at Burns Logistics. So what they do is they partner with carriers and they say, we're going to be your sales force. So they market to shippers and shippers say, we need 20 trucks in these lanes. They go to their carrier network, right? They go to their carrier network and there's two different models of the way this is of the revenue share, the way like Burns Logistics. And this guy here, he's really good. So I talk to him about once a week and he represents carriers here in the Atlanta market where I'm in now. And what he does is he represents the small carrier. So he represents a carrier that does business with me and they have seven trucks. That's all they have is seven. So they can't afford a sales force. He gets 8% of the line haul revenue. So whatever agreed rate between him and I, he, every time they move a load, the carrier pays him a fee of 8%. If they do, and they do about five loads a week with us, give or take. The other side of that is, is the shipper pays. So I'm a, I'm a logistics consultant. I find you capacity. And then you pay me a percentage of whatever rate you negotiate with the carrier. So the carrier doesn't pay me. The shipper pays me. So there is several people that I've met in that field. So not everybody's a sales guy. Not everybody has the contacts, but these guys like this gentleman, his name's Barry, by the way, that I deal with, he has been doing this for 20 years. So he knows all these carry. He know, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He knows all these shippers in this market. He's a player here. Yeah. So when shippers call him, and say, I need a carrier to do this, he goes out to his carrier network and then he gets paid a percentage if they strike a deal. 
Yeah, I think you made a good point. As I wasn't saying, you know, kind of like you touched on, it's the, the sales aspect. I think Anna made a really good comment. A carrier with their own assets local to a shipper has an advantage over fresh brokers cold calling, in my opinion. Um, I think that's 100%. If a good 100%. carrier with good sales, the aspect that they have to know what they're doing in terms of the sales aspect. But yeah, I mean, I would say a carrier like that would have an advantage over a salesperson like, you know, John, even I mean, if they were good. Well, you're carrier, going to the director of the story, saving money. I mean, it's a win-win. Yeah. As a carrier, I've been involved in those negotiations directly with shippers. And a lot of the times it ends up with, you're just calling loads off the spot market. And eventually you hit a guy that is a direct shipper and we've made many conversations with them. And it's, it's just simpler for us. Like we want direct shippers. I call the guy, he's in that warehouse. He tells me, this is where your freight is. It's on the dock. You get there, you're talking directly to the guy. It takes out the middleman. And I mean, it was as simple as, hey, you guys did a good job on this run for me. Do you want some more freight? And you know, sometimes you get lucky. You don't even have to call anybody with the intention of cold calling them. Sometimes you just come across shippers and if you're a good carrier, you know, you get business that way. Absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, here's the thing. Um, I mean, I have a model that I can't find nobody else that does. And the only way I test it is I fired myself, right? I mean, if, if everybody wants to save money, I mean, that's a given. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you here. I see that everybody's got to have their hand in the cookie jar, right? The lumper. Me, the carrier, shippers make money on freight, especially the big shippers. Procter & Gamble charges 71 cents for every single case if you want delivered pricing. 71 cents. And I've touched on this several times on LinkedIn posts. I have a client that orders between 53 and 5,800 uh, cases from Procter & Gamble. That's a full truckload. Um, Takes 71 cents. You'll get somewhere in the neighborhood of 3500 bucks, but yet it only would cost him $1,200 to move that from Ohio to West Virginia. And that includes my broker fee of a couple hundred bucks. Now, so many, there's another company in West Virginia and I cannot get them to understand this. They take delivered pricing on everything, delivered pricing on every load they do. So the shipper says that your transportation, they add $2,500 to the bill and the shipper pays a broker $1,500. The broker pays $1,200 to the truck. So broker makes money. And that $2,500 just got passed on to the cost of goods that, that me and you buy in the grocery store. The You know, so everybody's handing the cookies or just think if more people if there wasn't brokers and every carrier could go directly to the shipper, mathematically, you would think, I mean, logically, you'd think that the, the food that we buy at the store would cost less because you just cut out the middleman. You just cut me out. And I see it. I see the pickup allowances. And that's the other part I was going to say where I posted on. I, the, the gentleman in Kentucky sends, I get the pickup allowance charges and I negotiate for him, I calculate that based on their matrix. I look at that and, you know, they'll deliver it to you for two grand. We get a pickup allowance of two grand, even if the numbers are the same and we can buy a truck for a grand. 
And then me and him split the thousand bucks in savings. I make five and he makes five. So, and then the other side of that, there's clients that I have that mark up the freight. So they make it a profit center. We have a client that's very big, like very, like Fortune 500 big. So they take, so whatever the freight charge is, they add 12%. They add 12% on LTL and 15% on truckload because they're floating the money. And we all know that money is never free. So they take, so if the, just for round numbers, if the cost is $1,000 for the goods, they add, they, and our cost is 200 bucks. They'll take $200, add 12%. Then they have to invoice the customer. They have to invoice the customer. They have to wait 30 days to get their money. So they're floating the money. And then they have to pay a carrier, depending on their terms, 14 days, 21 days, whatever that number is. So they're floating the money. They're issuing the credit. So they make um, freight a profit center. They are companies that have their own trucks, their own fleet of trucks. One company that we do business with have 971 trucks, 971 of their own fleet. That's big. Do you not think they make freight money on freight? If their cost, driver, insurance, whatever, however they calculate that metrics. And in this category, it's carpet. So let's say they charge, I actually know this number to, to one point, and their cost is 17 cents a square yard. And there's 10,000 square yards on a truck, right? For round numbers, that's $1,700. That lane they can buy all day long for seven fifty, all day long for seven fifty. They just made they just made a thousand dollars on the freight. So that, it's a profit not, center. Yeah, and that somebody said CPU pricing. So glad John brought this up. And that's another thing when you know, when you're prospecting. I mean, to ask prospects, you know, do you know how much your goods cost without the you know transportation charges? Because as John said, I mean, there's people making a lot of. A lot of money on that. Um, we did have one other question we missed going back there, and I think this is all of them, unless anyone had any other question. Does John feel that he does 40% of the work in the whole process of the load? That is a good anchor for being fair. Being fair is not relative. You should be paid for the amount of work you do. I think this is the only question we didn't ask. Um, again, that's subjective. Uh, nobody works for free. I get it, right? Um, I can't... So I, probably 80% of the dispatchers that I deal with work nine to five or eight to four, seven. You know what I mean? Like, like I could call, I, I, I don't have so any cares. Right. So, so there's, so if I need to tell a carrier something um, or there's a change, chances are I don't get a hold of them until the next day. And that may be too late, right? So um, even though I, I I believe if you're in this game, you need to be accessible 24-7, but there's a lot of carriers that don't believe that, just as there's a lot of brokers don't believe it. I get calls. I get calls from, you know, so it's it's hard to justify. It, it, it boils down to it. It boils down to this. I don't coerce anybody. I don't mislead anybody. I tell you, you, you'll you'll give me a number, not all the time, but 80% of the time, 75% of the time, that number is higher than the number I have in my head. 
we'll negotiate a little bit if we're close. Because if we're not close, I don't even waste my time or yours. I just move on. But if we're close, we'll, we'll negotiate some. But if my heart stops this number and it doesn't work for you or you tell me no, I mean, that's, that's just it because there's 1.1 million carriers. Of those 1.1 million carriers, some of them have multiple trucks, right? Majority, 80, 90%, whoever, whichever number you're reading, are small fleets with one to 10 trucks. So however many millions of trucks I have available, right? Um, you know, if you agree to that number, then it's at the end of the day. I mean, I just recently, and I got to share this with you. I recently bought a motorcycle and the girl and the girl that waited on me had been selling for about five weeks. And I think she sold six or eight motorcycles, not very many at all. And I actually posted a little about this. And she, when she walked up to me, she used, man, you really look nice on that motorcycle. And <laughs> that's, that's what she said. And it's a CVO top of the line. And here's what, and here's what I said to her. I, and I thought I lowballed her. Like, I, you know, because I know, because I work for a Harley Davidson dealer, so I know what the margins are. So I thought, well, my bike's probably 25. They've got a 442. I know I'm going to have to pay the fees. So I told her, I'll trade, I'll trade motorcycles with you for 15 grand difference and a clear title to my bike. And she didn't understand what trade difference is because typically all stuff now is is um, done on payments, right? You trade on payments, not on difference, trade difference. And she's like, well, what does that mean? I said, look, I said, your manager is not going to let you work this deal. Um, I used to work for a Harley dealer. I said, so just tell him I'll trade him 15 grand difference plus taxes and fees. She leaves where I'm setting down. He, it, it might be a minute, maybe a minute and a half. This guy comes back, pulls out his hand and shakes my hand and says, congratulations, you just got a motorcycle. You know what I, you know what I told him? Now, deal's a deal. I left money on the table. That's exactly what I said. I said, I left money on the table. After I signed the paperwork, I said, if I would have, I said, would you have took the deal at 14 difference? He said, yeah, I sure would have. They sold you, left, John. I left a thousand dollars on the table. So I, I picked it up that following Sunday. I mean, I picked it up Sunday. We made the deal on Saturday, but the point I'm trying to make there is he done what I asked. I asked, he could have told me, no, I would have made a decision at that point in time. And you know, it, it is what it is. So if a carrier agrees to my terms, then at the, at the end of the, and I made, 30%, 40%, $10, $1,000. I'm sorry. I think this segues into it, though, because I think that's not what carriers are really even asking you. I mean, this has been in my head since we started talking. You said you'd pay a 150 layover because that's what, what they asked for. Now, to flip mm -hmm. the head on the coin, now if I ask you, hey, John, you know what? This layover screwed me up, and this is like this is an avoidable issue. I need a $500 layover. What do you say to that when I am negotiating the rate and I am asking? So obviously, so it depends. So obviously it depends on the customer, right? So it depends on the customer. I'll be back in one second, guys. Sure. So, so it's going to depend on the customer in that regard. Are they going to pay me the $500 back that I give you? That's going to be a factor of that, right? Now, um, so 
obviously there's circumstances well, of the reason of the layover. If they do pay you 500 and I ask you for 500, you have no issue giving me that. Absolutely. I'm going to negotiate with you. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I mean, because I'm, 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 I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I want to negotiate with you. And yeah, if I can I mean, get you to take 250 or 300, so be it. No, I no, think no. that's the thing because you can't blame you can't blame John or any broker as a carrier for paying you something that you did not ask for. You cannot blame any broker in America for paying you a let's call it a bad layover for, for lack of a better term when you did not ask for more money. Like you can't blame I can't blame you for that. If I say John, I need a hundred fifty dollar layover and you pay it to me, what, what that's my fault you know, at the end of the day. And, and part of and part of that. I really believe is on the carrier's fault because of it's kind of like the $25 an hour on detention, right? I think the care and I think the carriers, and this is just my opinion, I may be wrong, are so accustomed to other brokers paying that as a general rule of thumb, they just accept it. Yeah, so yeah. And, and, and because I try to so here's the way you try to get away with it, right? Carrier sends in an email. That, and typically this will come by email and they say, uh, we're requesting detention two hours, right? You send them a rate con with 50 bucks on it and they sign it. They just accepted your terms, right? Especially if you do it quickly because then they're just like, you know what? It's already done. I got my 50 bucks. Like. Absolutely. Now, what they do with that money, I don't know. Is it going to bank? Do they pay the drivers? Obviously, that depends on the dynamic. That you know, I have sense. one carrier that right. I have one carrier. I have one carrier that does a lane for me from Georgia to Ohio. They pay their drivers percentage, so a driver will get a you know a percentage of that money. But then, what happens when, like, for me, for example, like I sent in a detention request recently, and you know, I always do it like this. I say, here's my in and out times. Here's my paperwork with the in and out times. Here's my, you know, I do all the math for the broker, so they don't even have to think about it. My email will say in out total detention requested. X amount of hours, let's call it six. And I'll say six hours of detention at $50 an hour. And more often than not, I mean, we're not getting paid $50 an hour because it'll be in the rate con, hey, you signed 25 an hour, 35 an hour. But I'll, I'll, I'm always going to try. I'm always going to say, I want $50 an hour. I let them point me to their rate con. Worst case, it doesn't work. You know? Alex, you got to put this comment up. Look at the comments. <laughs> so I'm going to... Um, while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you the name of this carrier. <laughs> the shower one? Is that? Yeah, one? yeah, you got to put that one up. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm going to tell you the name of this carrier. The carrier's name is F-R-I-S-A-R-D-S Trucking, and I'm going to give you their MC number, and there's a reason why I'm going to point them out. So the carrier is a, a Louisiana-based carrier. Their MC is 364-663. That's 364-663 if anybody wants to look them up. Really good carrier out of Louisiana. And they do a load for me sometimes out of West Virginia going back to Texas. Okay. As soon as we make contact, whether I call them or they call me because I know they're in West Virginia, I may call them and say, Hey, I've got this lane again. Do you want it? The next email that comes from them is states. What is your detention policy? Every single time it's the same email. What is your detention policy? Ours is $50 an hour. If you don't agree to the $50 an hour in this email chain, we can't do your load. So 
maybe more carriers and I, and they're the only carrier out of all the carriers I've ever booked in my life that has ever asked me what my detention policy is. And number two puts it in writing. And if you don't agree to their terms, they will not book your load. Would you have an issue with a carrier that's like, let's say you talk to them on the phone, for example, and then they accept your load, or maybe they forget to mention it on the phone. Then they hit you with that in an email and say, Hey, if you can't agree to this, the tension rate we're coming off, are you going to hold them, you know, with some issue for that? Or is that okay? Um, have they picked up the load or not picked up the load? No, not picked like within five minutes of booking it. You know, like, um, here's another question too, by the way, Alex, it, it, it depends. It depends on the, um, I mean, it depends on the load on the carrier. I, if a carrier asked me in this example would ask me for 50 bucks, if there's attention. So number one, I know my lanes because again, my lanes are regular with very few, uh, you know, uh, you know, very few, Hey John, I got this new lane, right? Because of that, I know whether you're going to have detention or not. Like I'll know you go to Columbia, South Carolina, there's going to be a lady set in that chair. And I'm not, I am, I am not, I am not racist at all. She's a black lady sits in a chair. She's very heavy set. And if you ask her, Hey, when is this driver going to be out? You just added two more hours, right? Like I know that, like I know this, right? So I will tell a carrier, I will, t- and I have no problem with it because I'm, I have no problem. You are going to have probably a couple extra hours there at Columbia, South Carolina. So even though your appointment time is at 6 a.m., you're probably not going to get unloaded until probably 10 or 10.30. Is that a problem? Yeah, and that's good what, to be fair and to, to put it out there right yeah, away. It's transparent. That's the best. I will, and, and, I, and, I, and when I, I mean, like when I sell a load, like if you guys could ever hear me and I sell a load, I sell things that no other broker is selling. Like, like uh, uh, that's not selling, giving information. So like, you know, like this load that I actually have put, put up right here right now that just got loaded. You know, I'll say this is a first come first serve shipper at, and they are there till 430. Driver cannot be late. The population of the town is 42 and they roll up the streets at 431, especially on a Friday. So if your driver is going to have any issues making a 4.30 first come first serve pickup, this might not be the load for you. We're good. On the other end is a first come first serve receiver till 5.30 p.m. They have overnight truck parking. And if you go ahead and break the seal and back into door number two, you will be unloaded at 7.15 in the morning. And then Sherry will come out and bring you your paperwork. I know that. I know everything about my lanes. So how more confident is a carrier? And, and, and I'm going to get back to price real quick. That ha- giving them that much information, because I've been told 400 times at least, you know your stuff. We've never had a broker that knows, because especially if you're not a cradle to grave program, they hire some guy giving two, two days of training, shadowing somebody, and they ask questions about the, you know, pickup, the receiver, blah, blah, blah. And this guy's like, I don't know. I know the answers. I will give you information so you can make an educated and informed decision whether you want to do my load or not. And you know what? If I give you that information, you might not ask me for that extra $200. Yeah, but here's it's very possible. Thing, just from a carrier point of view, um, I mean, it's nothing negative, but I mean, from my experience, 
I think every broker's lying to me on the phone when they say, oh, it's uh, I do this a lot. It's easy. One on one. You'll be in and out of there. 30. I instantly don't believe them. I mean, not saying in your case, you do know what's going on. But a lot of brokers I mean, do lie. I mean, that's yeah. That's, like that's, when that's I get that page that says this is going to be 30 minutes both ends, like I just don't even think about it. I put that out of my head because I can't trust the broker. It's just not in my nature to. Trust. So I'm going to say this. Question up, guys, though, before we miss it, because uh, that question up was it kind of on this topic. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I don't, it don't say who it is, who it's from, but I mean, it's fine. But again, if if the layover is no fault of my own, now if it's my, there's a difference. If it's no fault of my own, I did everything right. Why should I pay for it out of my pocket, out of my out of my profits? If I did everything right. Well, I mean, that's not really the case, right? Like, I mean. That's the, like the give and take, right? Because it's your shipper or your receiver. Maybe the shipper took too long, an hour late for the delivery because of the shipper. I mean, you're basically on that team, right? So maybe you did everything right, but your customer didn't. So now it comes back to you to pay the layover, right? Like, and, and and if there's a valid argument for that, then guess what? Hey, Mark, Bill, Fred. Hey, you guys got this guy out late. Obviously, couldn't make his appointment. He's hours of service. Hey, will you pay a layover for that? I, I know what my answer is. I don't know. I can't speak for anybody else. Say, sure, John, no problem. You guys, let's uh, – I, I know we've talked a lot about carrier issues, and we could probably go on for another hour or two on carrier issues. But before we close, I just kind of – because a couple of people asked me this too uh, in regards to LinkedIn, and we haven't really talked about networking. Like, I want to talk about, you know, kind of your brand and how that's helped you on LinkedIn – and then, you know, what would you say to, I don't know, lack of better words, the haters that say there's certain things you shouldn't be posting on LinkedIn or, you know. Yeah, has LinkedIn affected you negatively ever like, with the stuff you post? Like, like yeah. Well, I have, well, 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 I have. For example, so, like so will message and ask, why is he posting that? You know? So the only, so obviously the grind for the RNL guy, that was some Saturday. I actually had a couple beers and it just, I just was, you know, I was, I was thinking, of, I, yeah, yeah, I was thinking of Rob Bowman. It was a Saturday and I was thinking of Rob Bowman, right? You know, I beat him, right? He sued me. I was the first one he sued. I want him to remember me, right? So, and I sent that obviously that really nice blow up portrait of me to his office. I don't know if he's got it on his wall or not, but I doubt it. But, um, you know, but, you know, the, the, you know, I, you know, so they are, you know, there, there are people that, whether they're jealous of your success, I, I'm, I truly have no, um, no malice or anything by it. Right. I mean, I really do, but some, so some of that, um, is that it's possible to do very well in this business. I'm going to even go one step further and say, you can get rich in this business, right? You can make a very good living in this business. Um, and it's just the, my transparency. I, it's my transparency with the carriers. Everybody gets paid the same. I'm very transparent with that. It's no, it's not fair to pay this guy more than this guy because you should be unfair. If you've ever managed a group of people like I have, if I let you go home early, I got to let the next guy go home early. 
if I give you a day off to take care of your kid, I got to give the other guy a day off to take care of their kid. So um, I'm just really transparent. It, it, and have I had negative messages? I get a few, you know. Um, You'll think this but is funny. I, I told you this before, but someone messaged me and is like, you guys are opening yourselves up to lawsuits by having John on the, on uh, the show. I'm like, this I crack, before we yeah, forget. Uh, I, I cracked up at that. I was like, you know, our guest last week, and I don't think we're opening ourselves up to, so, to lawsuits by having so, John yeah. on the show. Like, if, if you need an address to send the summons, I will be more than happy to give it to you. Uh, that's that's all I'll say about it, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't think this was a negative show at all. I think yeah, John no, not at all. every question to the best of his ability. And I think we've addressed almost every comment that's come into the, the comments. So, so I want to say something before we go about developing your brand. LinkedIn's given me, LinkedIn's done very well for me um, as far as a business perspective. If you're, and I share both the good things and the bad things, right? I, I share both, right? You know, I got double brokered. I got sued. I, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, I, I tell you, I screw up, you know, I, the, the LinkedIn post today, you know, there, you know, you know, there's no, you know, I think there are brokers out here that, that are two faced. I mean, I don't know who they are. So, but I, I'm sure they're, you know, they're pro carrier, right. But they're doing the same thing I'm doing on the back end. Right, they're protecting their profits because if they don't protect their profits, they're going out of business. Yeah. I mean, I it's just yeah, I respect. That's why you and I have always. That's why you and I have always been friends. You know, every time I I always say I don't always agree with you on everything, but I know I'm getting it real. And you know, not there's a lot of people out there these days. Yeah. That are right. I mean, they put something on yeah. social media, but that's not. But here's what I'm gonna. Here's what I'm gonna. Here's what I want to say. In developing your brand you have to give away stuff for free. There's very few brokers. I would do it. Now I wouldn't do it to some, you know, shipper that's does load lists and all that. But if I had a shipper that I was interested in that really wanted to do business with me, I'd say, I'll prove it to you. Give me three. I'll, I'll do the first five loads for free. And if I screw up on one, I'm kept me to the curb. And guess what? You got five free loads delivered. Don't cost you anything. That could be a $5,000 load one from East to West coast. Or it could be a thirteen hundred dollar. Well, I mean, ten grand is nothing to me, right? Ten grand is nothing to me. But ten grand, if I turn around and got thirty loads a week, I'm going to make that ten grand back up in a matter of days or a matter of weeks. So, you know, you've got to give. And I'm not saying everybody go out and give some free, but I give out free content. Now, I get a lot of messages because they think it's free publicly that I should give it to them free. <laughs> on their phone call, right? But and, and of course, I don't have time to do that. I got a business to run. But you know, giving away free content and sharing real life experiences has done well with me of getting new business because I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving away something free. I mean, I used to. So in the car business, we would have this um, open house at Saturn every year, every year, every year. People always want something for free. And they was family that would come every year because I worked at Saturn for 11 years. They would come every year. They never got out of the, so they never looked in the cars. Like they get out of their car, but they would never go look at any of our vehicles. Never. All they would do is eat our free hot dogs, get in their car with their kids and leave. The That's tire. all they did. Right. <laughs> tire kickers. Right. <laughs> On the third year they showed up, 
the third year show they showed up, we were doing pizzas that, that year. We did pizzas. They walked, when I saw them pull in, I walked up to their car and said, just stay there. I grabbed about six pizzas. I shoved them through their car window. I said, you're not going to buy anything. I'll see you next year. They're not going to buy anything from me. Right. So that's the point I'm trying to make. So I, I give away things for free. I give that experience away. And my, I have a, and I, I don't, I have a, I believe there's a market. So in automotive, there are tons of automotive trainers. I follow Andy Elliott and, and I've met probably a hundred automotive trainers throughout my career that I've went and visit, that I've done their training. Right. And there's a part of me as part of my brand that once I'm through with this in 2028, that I may do some training and I do it now. So on the weekends, I'll train people at my leisure when I have time, I charge for it. And I, and, and I go a lot further because I really buy in and help them even more so than maybe a, a trainer should, you know, but if I take their money, if I'm taking your money, I have an obligation to make sure you're successful. I do. It, it, and I believe that. So with that being said, you know, I'm looking at possibly you're my, these people, the LinkedIn is my test audience. The amount of messages I get from people that have said, John, you're um, talking about how getting, looking for government contractors, doing the cross-reference with Zoom against the government website, against the bids. Now that takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of work, but I've had five or six messages from people that said, John, that's worked and I've got new business or John, the pickup allowance idea gave us new business or the customer pickup has given us new business. No, you or, give out so much good content. I even right. made this comment with you a couple of weeks ago. Like if I was a broker, I would be just printing out your posts and like studying them. Like that's just right. Up. And I want to use that. So I'm taking this content on the back end and stuff, you know, I don't share usually and I'm built, I'm building a book. So my stuff right now is random because I don't have any structure to it. Like there's no structure, right? Yeah, just you know, like it's just it's just thoughts. But in the big scheme of things, maybe in a few years, I'm doing boot camps with really good structure, and I'm helping three PLs because three PLs it because I've spoken to many freight brokers that work for three PLs, larger three PLs that have sent me messages and said, "John, you've hit the nail on the head when you talk about training. We didn't get any. We got zero. They just put us out on the floor. We shattered a guy for a couple of days. I mean, Ernesto, this guy sat beside me for 11 months at RNL, right beside me. He never got a customer. He never moved a load for 11 months. I felt sorry for this guy, right? I really, he was young, but the person, to, the, the people to blame was the leadership because they didn't give him any training, right? Yeah. And, and, and so, uh, $50,000 bill, John. For what? You're training. I think I'd have about a fifty thousand yeah. dollar bill at this point. It, it, and here's the thing: is if it's helped you, I know you're not it, it, directly in the freight broker industry anymore. And and I and, I, and so I want to. So maybe I don't retire. Maybe I write a book. Maybe I do some training. Maybe I do some coaching. Maybe I go to a three PL. Maybe I do an online training freight broker course with different modules, right? Because I think that's lacking in the industry. The, the, you know, ninety. You know, you know they talk about. Um, you know, all this money. If, if I was a mouse in a room 
at the average three box, um, big box three PL. I guarantee you the pitch line goes very similar to cars. If you can come in here, especially like recruiting colleges, come work for us. You're going to make six figures a year. <laughs> look up what the average freight broker makes online, right? Just like look what the average truck driver makes online. $100,000 a year jobs don't have 90% turnover. And the government's data would be a lot higher than what it is because the government knows what everything, what we do for a living and what we make because we have to report it every year on, to the IRS. So my point being, if I was in a room with with these three like CEOs, they're talking up stuff that's not true. And I don't like that. You know, um, if a guy asks me in the car business, do you think I can make $100,000 in the first year and I don't have any experience? I'm going to say no. And that's the truth. You can make you 45 or 50. Can you make a hundred grand with no experience in the world ever? You know, it's, it's in the always freight industry. You can in the freight industry, you can make a hundred grand your first year. You can. Yeah. If you hustle, learn, absorb knowledge, you know, refine your skills, yeah. refine your yeah. tools, separate yourself, brand, all those things. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Let's just say that it's being a little dishonest the way that, you know, come here and make a hundred grand. The amount of people that can succeed in doing that is marginal at best. I'd say two to five percent can make yeah. hundred grand in the first year. But they're getting sold the dream that, you know, like, because I mean, I wouldn't say people are lazy these days, but a lot of people are, you know, maybe scared of doing some some homework on their personal time. A lot of people don't want to do research for work on their time. And I mean, the only people that are succeeding in that first year are the guys going home like I did. And, you know, watching the truck stuff on your personal time, your girlfriend telling you, oh, why are you listening to trucks? You know, it's, it's bedtime. And it's just because that's something you're interested in. You know, it takes a lot of extra work to, to get to that number. You know, when I would hire a, a young kid in the car business, right, you know, <laughs> Um, come four o'clock, five o'clock on a Saturday, he don't want to take customers. He's done. He wants, he will go hide. He'll go out back. He'll, you know, mess around a lot. He doesn't want to take a customer because he's got other things on his mind. He's wanting to chase some tail. He, he, he's wanting, he's, he's, he's looking for a girl, right? His buddies are out partying, drinking. That's what he wants to do. Right. Yeah. He, he's not a family man. He doesn't have kids. He doesn't have a nut to crack every month. He still lives at home with his mom. He's looking at chasing tail. You know, is that guy going to be the hundred thousand dollar guy? He's not. It's a job. It's not a career. I think that's, I think the average, not a career. That's the right. best exact phrase for that. I think that's the average, good, uh, good quote to good quote to end it on. The average, yeah, the average kid that's coming out of that's getting recruited out of college. What's the chances he's going to be a freight broker in one year, two year, or five years? He's moved on. He's got married. He's moved. He's you know he's doing something else. I mean, if you take a look at all these LinkedIn profiles of people that may follow me or follow you or still in the freight game, but they're not in the freight game. They're doing something else. You know, they were in the freight game. Now they sell car insurance or whatever. Right. So, you know, and the statistics show that when you're in a, when you're in such a high turnover industry, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think part of that too, isn't just for the failure, but part of that has to do with, you know, and you, you know it because it happened to you, but it has to do with the non-competes and non-solicits in this industry too. I didn't, I didn't, it, mine was, you know, shame on me, right? I take responsibility for me. 
and it was on some on electronic docs with, you know, how much tax withholding do you want? Blah, 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 blah. And guess what? I signed it. I paid the consequences for it. Ultimately I was on the right side of it. It could have went a different way. I fought it. You know, my, my attorney's like, um, I'll never, never forget what he said. Jonathan Pollard, by the way, the best non-compete attorney. I'll give him a plug. Um, he said, I said, John, what do I do? He said, you continue doing what you do and you keep making all the money you can and you let me handle the rest. And he did exactly everything he said he was going to do for me. Now, you know, $700 an hour for this guy, but it was well worth it. He has a lot of interesting content on, on LinkedIn, but yeah, no, I would say that's a small percentage. I mean, most of the people you're right. I mean, salespeople just don't in general, one out of 10 maybe makes it, you know, I mean, it's, it's low numbers. Um, but yeah, we've been on here for, for a minute. Run into the end. Sorry. I had to grab the phone. Real yeah. Quick. I, I, I think it's something to eat and John's probably tired. We've been live for almost two hours. So. But I mean, it's Hopefully just not- this gives you know, John just has opinions about everything, and you know he's well spoken, and a lot of that's the thing. There's a lot of knowledge that, that he can give out um, to the brokerage community. Well, if you, I mean, hopefully this, you know, obviously um, gives you guys some 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 good ratings. I know you guys are new, so I, obviously I appreciate being a part of of this. So I appreciate the invite, and um, you know, in the weeks and months ahead, I'll continue to follow you. And if you uh, want me back on, just give me a shout. Sounds good. Who knows? You might have another another coffee. I was telling uh, I was telling Alex this. I he thought it might be a little too intense, but it'd be good to have you on and then like somebody from the owner operator uh, owner operator side. That would be maybe a you know another broker do some kind of round table one of these weeks. And also, uh, absolutely. Also, I think we're gonna keep uh, the DMs open for any John questions and wait till we collect another huge pile of them. And yeah, you got a lot. <laughs> you got a ton of a uh, ton of DMs with questions to ask. You know, we, well, we uh, had... go ahead. Well, I said, you know, like I said, I mean, I'll, you know, if, if somebody wants to email them to me and you know who they are, I don't, I don't mind, I, I don't mind replying to them. You know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, you know, I have some time in the mornings because I get up really early. So I have some times in the morning. I mean, obviously I, I, it might take me a week or so to get through them depending on the, the, the amount, but I mean, I'll, I'll have, I have no problem in it because here's the thing. Success breeds success. Competition breeds competition. I'm successful. The best ex- feeling I had, you know, as a manager in the car business, I mean, I, I don't hire anybody here, but what I do now, but, and I, of course, on my business, I mean, I don't, but my point I'm trying to make there is I want to see everybody successful. And there's enough room in this industry for everybody to get their piece, right? To get their little piece. And I mean, my little piece is 0.000001% of the entire industry, right? I mean, what I move, a month ch robinson moves or tql moves in four hours right so there's plenty of there's plenty out here for everybody to make their mark i want everybody to make their mark and i want everybody successful and the best part about me and what i feel it, it, it feels just as warm as when my son comes up to me and, my, he, he, and he tells me he made an a on a test right that makes you feel good right well, it's a, it feels good when I get a message or a text message or a phone call and somebody says, John, I applied, I, I you, you know, you, I, I used your advice. I sent a video, you know, as corny as it was, I sent the video and now I've got a, I got a customer out of it. That makes me feel good because that reinforces that 
I'm not full of shit either, right? Hundred percent. I think a lot of people might have, you know, had that opinion in their head about you, but I haven't had well, long of a chance to meet with you. And honestly, um, you're a lot more. Let, let's wrap this up, party. guys. I got to get something to eat. I love both of you guys, right. but I, I got to eat something. <laughs> We're on a, two hours is too much for uh, for my old uh, old self. I right, guys, peace. God bless. Take care, fellas. All right, take care. All right, there goes John. Um, yeah, that was fun, wrap, man. Wrap it up. I mean, yeah, we definitely went overboard, but I mean, I there's just so many questions people have to ask him. He's just so polarizing, and so many people want to speak with him, and maybe don't have a chance to through DMs. And I mean, like, look at the the comments are just you know they're they're, they're endless almost. And, I mean, I think we couldn't make this a 50-minute show because then we would just get told, oh, you didn't ask him all the questions again. Yeah, no, it was good to go along. I, my ADD and my hunger just can't uh, can't do it. I feel like John and I and you could talk for like four hours on here, which yeah. would be fun, but I don't have the uh, I don't have the focus uh, focus and hunger uh, stomach to uh, last well, that. But. Well, let's wrap it up nice and quick. That's it, man. Good episode. Have a good weekend. And uh, we'll be back here. I'm not sure what is the next episode, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but we'll figure that whenever, out. Whenever, yeah, whenever we fly. We, we go by the, uh, yeah, just whenever we figure it out. Take it easy, bro. Have a good weekend. All right, you too. Peace.